Christmas is upon us. May we realize that the prophecies of Scripture, our theme is going to be, and he shall be called, deals with the many prophecies in the Old Testament, in particular Isaiah, that foretold the coming of the Lord. And also, just keep in mind the opportunities you have during these weeks of Christmas. Sounds of Christmas uh, will be uh, here in just a couple of weeks. And opportunities to visit with family, to do good things, not only on our church campus, but wherever you find yourself, don't miss out on those opportunities. I'm not sure if you've enjoyed Ecclesiastes or not. I really don't care whether you've enjoyed it or not, because it's there and it's truth. And I will admit in the 40 plus years of doing what I do, I've never been through the book of Ecclesiastes with the congregation before. I think it has served us well. I hope that in the midst of the frustration of of hearing the testimony of the wisest man on the face of the earth, that his life seems to come unraveled time and time again, that we learn from it. Well, we cover those closing verses today out of Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Once again, there's too many of them for us to pick up on and to read and study in our time here. But I hope that you'll be drawn back to this section of God's Word in times to come because we've all felt like Solomon felt, at least I believe, that most all of us have had the same questions that he has that he puts forth in this book We've responded in ways that were inappropriate, just like he did. We all look back and we have regrets about what we've done in life and we want to make sense of it all. And many times when we don't have the answers to those questions that dig at us the most, we are tempted to give up, but we don't. When he comes into these closing verses of chapter 12, he is, it's almost like he's Well, he's closing out a book, closing out a sermon, if you will. He's trying to put the pieces together for us. And a lot of times that's simply done by reviewing what has come before. And that's what Solomon does. I pick all the way back up to chapter 11, what we covered last week. But beginning in the ninth verse of chapter 11, he, he begins to wrap up his thoughts. And he does so in a way that's easy for us to remember because he gives us three R's, not reading, writing, arithmetic, but three R's concerning faith in God. The first one, he says to rejoice. It's in Ecclesiastes 11.9. He says, rejoice, young man, during your childhood. Let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood. Follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes, yet know that God will bring you to judgment in all these things. So that first R, as he's concluding and wrapping up this, uh, this book of wisdom, he tells us to rejoice. And he's targeting the young here. He's going to kind of walk through the stages of development, the stages of aging in these closing verses. And for all of us, he is saying, and even as we're older, much of us, we're not considered young, or at least some of us aren't anymore. As we look back, 
It's our hope that we did do just what Solomon urges us to do, to rejoice, to enjoy life. To not take it for granted. To know that in the big picture, God is in control and we're going to answer to him someday. But that doesn't diminish his enthusiasm that we are to take life and to rejoice in it, the gift of life, to live it up, to enjoy it, to have fun. His second R comes in the 11th chapter, verse 10, where he tells us to remove. And he says... So remove grief and anger from your heart and put away pain from your body because childhood and the prime of life are fleeting. Once again, he's addressing, it seems, that younger generation. He's reminding them of some things. He is trying to help them to be as healthy as they can be physically and mentally, developmentally throughout their life. And the key word there is remove. Remove grief, remove anger from your life. What happens if you don't do that? It can cause physical problems. It certainly causes mental and spiritual problems. But how many of us fail to remove those things in life that are damaging to us, in particular, grief. Not that you can toss it to the side, but you cannot live a perpetual, you can't live your life perpetual, in a perpetual state of grief and regret and anger, of course. If anger becomes the chief motivation of your life, then you become its prisoner. And so he is telling us from young people all the way up to the oldest among us, that we are to rejoice in life. We are to remove those things that would dampen our spirit, that would cause us pain and turmoil. And then perhaps the most famous verse in all of these 12 chapters is Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1, where he tells us to remember. That's the third R. Rejoice, remove, remember, and the scripture says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them. So Solomon here is trying to set us up from the earliest stage of development to start out early, to let it be in the beginning of one's walk with God, to always remember God, especially in the days of your youth. It's good sound advice for all ages, but particular those who are young, those who are beginning this journey of faith, those who are beginning to live their life, whether they marry or not, whether they're parents or not, whether this, this career or that career, he is drawing us back to always remember. It's as though Solomon is saying throughout all these chapters, when I've been a downer, when even when I have been up, when I've understood, when I've encouraged, the basic, the basic truth is to remember Remember who created you. Remember who loves you. Remember who knows what's best for you. Remember. 
It's in verses 2 through 8. We're not going to read them. But he talks about the fact that we're all aging. I don't like those verses because, because they, they're true. And he uses some figures of speech, some illustrations. You can go back and cover those verses on your own. But in verses 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8, it's basically he's saying, I want you to do these three R's. I want you to rejoice. I want you to remove. I want you to remember. Because as time goes on, your health is going to diminish. Your mental capacity is going to diminish. As you age and go through that process and move through those steps, that's just the ebb and flow of life. Marcy and I made a, a deal when we turned 50 many years ago that we wanted our health to go like this, not like this. That we knew that gradually as time went on that we were going to get weaker, we were not going to be as flexible as we once were. And so we made a concerted effort to stave off that, those symptoms of aging. But even at that, you can't. We know that. There's no possible way that you can forestall the fact that you're going to get older and older if you're here upon this earth. So what's Solomon's point? His point is those three R's. To rejoice. To remove. To remember. Because as time goes on, as priorities change, as family dynamics move to other levels. As you get older, keep grounded from the beginning with those things that matter. Now, if you look at the text of Ecclesiastes, it might appear that he's done with chapter, in, in chapter 12, verse 8, and that the remaining verses, 13 moving forward, are almost like a postscript. Sometimes the translations that you hold in your hand may bracket it off like that. It appears to me that it could well be that Solomon at this point is just simply trying to say, now if I, if I put the equation here, if I put everything together, draw the line, add it all up, what is the one basic thing I want to tell people? Of all this journey, of all this Vanity, vanity, everything is meaningless. Of all these emotions that have spilled out on the page as I've been looking at life. And remember Solomon now, is, he's up there in years. He's, he's on the back side. He's saying, if I were to just really condense it down to just a couple of thoughts, if that many, what would it be? That's verses 13 and 14. The conclusion... When all has been heard is this, fear God and keep his commandments. Because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Well, Solomon says, if you've been with me throughout this entire journey of 12 chapters, Solomon would say, I know I've kind of put you off in some instances. I know I've, I've been confused. I know that I've been less than my best. But if when all is said and done, if I'm going to sit here and go, what does it really all boil down to? 
And that's really what we need, isn't it? I mean, we all want to, we want to know what is most important. And yes, all the background, all the other words, all the other concepts, they're important. We want to master them all if we possibly can. But if we're trying to take, take away something, if we're just trying to say, what does it really all boil down to? Fear God, keep his commandments. That's pretty amazing. For all the, the heartache that's spilled out in these pages over these weeks, as we've been reading it, as we've been living through Solomon's thoughts, he says, fear God, keep his commandments. Okay, well, here's my question. How do we do that? How do we fear God? Because remember, fear in the Old Testament and even in the New is not what, what we think it is especially in our modern-day usage. Fear to many of us is fright. It is your knees shaking because you're terrified. That's not what fear is when he says fear God. It's not the picture of a, of a tyrannical God who's up in heaven above just waiting for us to mess up so that he can, can punish us. And because of that, he instills fear in us to where our relationship with him is not based upon relationship of love or of grace, as we sang about today. But it's totally based on God whipping us into shape or else. No, fear is, in the Old Testament and the New, is a respect for God. It is acknowledging who he is and living your life with that understanding. So how do we show that respect? How can we, in our day and time, live out the bottom line conclusion at the end of the day that Solomon wants us to know? Well, I want you to remember a few things. First one is faith God. Faith God. I know that What you have up there is grammatically incorrect. We talk about this every time we hit this word, that you can't use faith as a verb in the English language. I'm aware of that. I'm also aware that you can use it as a verb in the languages of Scripture. In the Hebrew language, in the Aramaic tongue that Jesus spoke that was kind of a hybrid of Hebrew, and then in the Greek language which the New Testament was recorded in for us, faith can be. A verb. Faith is a verb, as well as a concept, a noun, an adjective. Faithful. Have faith in God. But faith God is an action. It is a decision. It is a choice. And so if we're going to fear God and keep his commandments, it's going to begin with our obeying him, our faithing him. Because you know, the word we substitute in English for faith is believe. Believe. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him, but literally it's whoever faiths in him. And always remember, there is a huge difference. There's a huge chasm between believing something up here and faithing, which means you act upon it, you give yourself to it, and you obey. So if we're going to fear God, begin with faithing God. This also means that we're going to faith God when intellectually or mentally 
things don't make sense. It also means we're going to faith God and obey him even when our emotions are flipped upside down, inside out. All you have to do is review a few instances in Scripture where people were called upon to faith God to choose to serve him. When intellectually, mentally, it didn't make sense. And when emotionally, they were basket cases. Moses, setting the people free, leading them to the banks of the Red Sea, realizing that Pharaoh has changed his mind and he's coming with a lot of chariots and weapons and he's come to take re, to retake the property that he says is rightfully his to put the people back into slavery. And God tells Moses to move forward, to move forward and get his feet wet into the, in the Red Sea. And the Bible's very clear. Seas do not part until Moses and the people obey and move forward. Mentally, intellectually, logically, it didn't make sense. You don't walk into a body of water with a group of people and expect to survive. Emotionally, he was overwrought with concern. You remember, everything that Moses did, if things went right, God got the credit. If things went wrong, Moses got the blame every single time. This is one of those instances. But the bottom line is, at the end of the day, Moses chose to obey. So put yourself in that situation. If you feel God leading you, you feel your options are leading you in a direction that don't make sense logically, it might not be that it's a poor decision. It may be that you're simply having to face the fact that many times you move forward regardless of whether the logic says it's the right thing to do or not. And if you're facing something in life where you're emotionally a basket case every time you think about it, are you going to obey? Or are you going to let emotions overpower everything? You see, if you want to fear God and keep his commandments, faith him. There's something else you and I can do. Live in his grace. Live in grace. His grace. Grace is unmerited favor. It's getting what we do not deserve, if you want to look at it that way. It is the opportunity for us to understand and know that salvation is a gift. It's undeserved, but God gives it to us. And when we understand that, when we understand living by grace then we understand that our sin is forgiven, that it does not bind us anymore. We don't have to live in regret. So if you want to fear God and keep his commandments, faith him. And understand and know that you're living in his grace. Another thing you and I can do, worship him. Now, a lot of people, when they hear worship him, says, well, we're doing that right now. And yes, we are. We're meeting in this hour of power, if you will. This is an opportunity for us as God's people to gather together and to do what is right, to honor him, to worship him. Worship really means worth, worth, he is worthy. So how do you do that? Well, you do it by a connection to a a family, to a family of faith, to a body, to a church. You do it by... 
doing what the Scriptures tell us to do, to lift up His name as we study the Scripture, as we sing hymns and spiritual songs, is what the Scripture says, as we gather. But it's also a lifestyle. It's acknowledging that as you live each and every day, God is worthy of our praise and adoration. So it should be reflected in what we do and what we don't do, and it should be directed in what we say and what we don't say. Worship Him. And then, this is probably the toughest one of all. If you want to fear God and keep His commandments, then what you and I need to do is to resolve to live within its boundaries. His boundaries. You remember, God's will. God's will is, is it, it's such a mystery to many of us. A lot of people have this notion and this idea that everything they do in life has been predetermined. I don't, I don't understand that. I don't understand why people feel that way in every detail of their life. But a lot of people do. A lot of people will bump their heads on a door and say, I'm glad I got that over with because it's something that had to happen. And it does bring a certain amount of comfort to know that if God's will is that precise, if it is every single step that you take, every single thought that you have, every single word that you speak, if it either is in his perfect will or not, then it kind of makes things crystal clear. It also sets us up for failure. Can't you see? That if your idea and perspective of God's will is, if I make one misstep, then I'm off the track of his perfect will. How in the world will I ever get back there? How will I ever make amends for it? And there are some people who have given up on faith, some people who are living life just in constant regret because in their mind someone told them or they convinced themselves that some choice that they made or did not make knocked them off the track and there's no ever getting back on it. But see, envision God's will as the boundaries. The boundaries of... We have those in every sport that we play, every game that you have, whether it's a table game or whether it's an active sport, whatever it might be. There are boundaries set up and you can't get out of those boundaries without without being called on it without messing up and if you want to fear God and keep his commandments then stay within the boundaries he's given us because folks you know as well as I do some of the choices in life that we make are, are just crystal clear black and white right wrong some things that are just so so stated in God's word or that are so part of just what it means to be human and to respect life. If there are some things that we know this it's God's will that we walk in this way. But there are going to be many other instances where it's not that stark a contrast, right and wrong. There are some great choices. There are some good things. Where, you remember, Paul said it could be between good, better, and best, not just simply right and wrong. 
And so you want to be as mindful of finding God's will when it's between good, better, best, don't you? Who wants good when best is out there? So if you view God's will in that perspective, in the fact that, hey, sometimes God may be saying, hey, Stephen, you got two or three choices here. Take your pick. Don't kill yourself over which one is the perfect choice. Because I'm giving you, I gave you a brain to think with. I gave you a will to exert. And there are some choices that I'm going to give you the freedom to choose the one you want and rejoice in it. So I'm not saying I have all the answers concerning the powerful, almighty will of God. But I do think that if we will view his will in many instances as just that, as as some boundaries that he's set up, some commandments that he's given us, yes. And we move within those because of his grace, unmerited favor toward us. We can rejoice. We can remove those things that harm us. And every day we live, we will remember. There is a, a New Testament side to this that I think is obvious. So if there's any, anything about it, you know, as he's wrapping up Ecclesiastes and trying to figure out this fear God and keep his commandments. There's this little tiny verse over in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. You've heard it before. We've looked at it on numerous times. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But I want to ask you to look at it, what it literally says. We insert the verb of being is because in English, once again, it doesn't make sense. But it did make total sense in the Greek language and still does. And it crystallizes, it brings everything to, to the point of what it really means. So literally what Paul wrote, what he said was this, for me to live Christ and to die gain. Paul's saying, I don't need to put any other words in there. I don't need any is's in there. I don't need a verb of being to help it make sense. If you people up here in America today need it, then so be it. But here's what I want you to remember. For to me to live, Christ. To die, gain. See how much more powerful? I mean, that's just... No extra word, nothing else added to it. Doesn't need anything else added to it. Anything added to it seems to cloud the issue. For me to live Christ, to die, gain. It all comes down to Jesus' claim upon our lives. And when he puts his claim upon us, when he confronts us with who he is, you and I've got a decision to make. You can look at the claim of the Bible upon your life and upon what Christ demands of his followers, and you can just conclude that he's a liar. That's one option. This whole whole Christianity thing is just one big lie, and some people have come to that conclusion. Another is you can take the claims of Jesus and call him just an outright lunatic. He's crazy. 
The things he said, the first shall be last, the last shall be first. If you truly want to live, first you have to die. Greatest in my kingdom will be the servants of all. I mean, Jesus is saying everything in reverse. He's just flipping everything. He's a lunatic. He's crazy. That's another option. Or he's everything he claimed to be and he's Lord. He is Lord of your life and mine. Ronald Wayne White was found in his apartment in DeSoto, right down the road here, last week, out on the floor, discovered dead. When his body was found last week, he had been dead three years. His mother lived in New York, heard from him from time to time. He was a defense contractor, a Navy veteran. He traveled the world and communication was sparse. But he'd been dead three years. His body lying on the floor of his apartment right down the road here till he was discovered this past week. And the only reason he was discovered is the maintenance people of the apartments where he lived needed to do a check for the apartments where no water was being used. And so the absence of water being used, of running in that apartment, led them to do a check and they opened the door and found his body. It had been gone three years. No foul play was suspected. His car was in the garage of his apartment covered in dust you believe that? To think that you would live your life in such isolation that no one would check on you to see if you were alive? What does that say about us? What does it say about the fact that we're so tuned into social media and we got our phones going all the time, but we never look a person in the eyes? We never take time to say hello or goodbye. Are you okay? He would have been 51 when they found him, which meant he died at 48. You can't live your life in isolation. And this... Christian life, this faith life we have in him, in Jesus, is to be experienced together. And how sad it is to think that a human being in our day and time, in our part of the world, would be that isolated. What's it all boiled down to? It boils down To loving and obeying God and keeping His Word. Beneath the cross of Jesus, I fain would take my stand shadow of a mighty rock within a weary land.
within the wilderness A rest upon the way From the burning of the noontime heat And the burden of the day Upon that cross of Jesus Mine eyes at times can see The very dying form of one Who suffered there for me And from my smitten heart with tears To wonders I confess Wonders of His glorious love And my unworthiness I take across Thy shadow For my abiding place I ask no other sunshine than Sunshine of your face Content to let the world go by To know no gain or loss My sinful self My only shame My glory the cross. Father, help us to live lives honoring you. It's all these things we ask in the name of Christ. Amen. We wrap up this hour the way we do each and every time we meet. God speaks, we respond. Could be that some of those choices need to be public today. If you're here and you have never said yes to the claim of Christ upon your life, if you know he's not a liar, you know he's not a lunatic, will you make him Lord of your life? That's a choice that you make. It's a a prayer that you pray. And it's one that you need encouragement, don't need isolation. Don't need to be secretive about this. So we ask that if that's the choice you want to make, that you step out, come forward, let us pray for you. Let us encourage you. If you're here today and you know the Lord, just never told anyone, tell us. If you've never fallen him in believer's baptism, let's talk about that, why it's important. If you're looking for a, a, a church to call your own, a place to belong, here we are. How do you join? It's a easy step of just coming forward stating your intention that you want to belong to this family of faith that's the beginning we make sure that our understanding is on the right page and it's biblical and then we ask you to move forward with us so join in our church if that's what God wants you to do I just want to ask you to step out come forward and make that choice but then for many of us rejoice Remove, remember, fear God, keep his commandments. What does that mean? What do you need to change? What does God need to 
change in your life. If that's the choice that's before you, identify it and walk in faith. That's our invitation. We stand together. We wait for you here. As God leads, you respond.